Hi, I'm Talissa. And I'm Rachel, and this is Transatlantic Crime, a true crime podcast that covers stories from each side of the pond. Every week, we will both cover a separate story with a running theme. Disclaimer, this podcast will contain swearing and details that some people may find offensive. If you are of a sensitive disposition, listener discretion is advised. Welcome Welcome to to Transatlantic Crime. Crime. (laughs) (laughs) What time is it there? Good morning, it's 9.30am. Oh, fuck that, sorry about that. (laughs) No, it's okay. I mean, how else are we supposed to do it? There's eight hours between us. Yeah, it's pretty complicated. (laughs) And... (laughs) I was supposed to be going for drinks tonight and I was like, I'm really sorry, I've got to record a podcast between like 5.30 and 7.30, which we know will turn into like 8 because we're just going to talk bollocks for like... <laughs> and then I have to like get ready after it as well, whatever. I see those people all like the time. Like I said, we should rename our podcast The Tangent Queens. I, lo- I like it though. Like I listen to podcasts. <laughs> I listen to um, All Killer No Filler. And it's basically yeah. all filler and it's brilliant. Yeah. I was on Reddit... And it was like unsolved murders or something. And someone got on the topic about my favorite murder. And they were like, I hate it so much. They just talk about their lives. Fuck off then. <laughs> listen to I <laughs> Listen to any other of the billion free podcasts. Like, whatever. Right. Well, I, I've yeah. had loads of people that say they like hearing about my sad little life. So whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks everyone for listening so far. Yeah that okay so this week it is conspiracy theories yes how did we get onto this we i think it was because we watched unsolved mysteries was it yeah also i love conspiracy theories i think this should be episode 13 (laughs) conspiracy theories part one because i want to do a lot more (laughs) i i have to say like i don't believe in conspiracy theories full stop because they're so convoluted. So many things have to go right for that to be the case. Like, uh, I totally agree. Yeah, but you know, there's they're that- just so like psychologically. Like, how do people? Well, my story is pretty straightforward, and it's probably true. The conspiracy theory Ooh. is probably true. I'm into that. But there's outlandish ones, you know, especially about like 9/11 or the moon landing, uh, classic school shootings. Yeah, the school shooting ones. They can fuck off. Like I hate those. What's wrong with you? I know. What's more likely? Somebody went mad with a gun, or somebody hired extras. You are off your absolute bell end. That is nuts. <laughs> I know. It really is. Yeah. Okay. So you're first this week, aren't you? Yes. Hit me with it, Rachel. I'm so ready. <laughs> Here we go. I have a title this week, too. Ooh. The Mysterious Death of Bobby Fuller. Never heard of it. Okay. Very exciting. All right. Bobby Fuller was born in Baytown, Texas on October 22nd, 1942, the middle of three boys. As a young teen, inspired by Buddy Holly and Elvis Presley, Fuller began writing and playing his own rock and roll music, forming a four-man band with ever-changing band members, The only constant being the bass player, his young brother, Randy. That sounds like every band ever, though, doesn't it? (laughs) I know. (laughs) I hate you. Get out of the band. (laughs) You make your sibling be in it so you can boss him around, but nobody else in the band wants to be bossed around. (laughs) He lives with you, so he's just like, I guess I'm still in the band then. (laughs) (laughs) Right. I can play bass, so I guess I'm in it. Yeah. So in 1961, aged 19... 
Bobby built his own studio in the den of his parents' three-bedroom, two-bathroom home, and before long, he began recording music and working with local bands. He soon became popular in El Paso, Texas, for opening a teen club called Rendezvous, (laughs) where his band, The Fanatics, were the house band. He seems like a wheelie dealer. I'm into it. Yeah. Just think like 1950s, 1960s Texas rock and roll, rockabilly. Yeah. That's what he was like. Yes, please. Also, on my very long road trip from Minnesota back to California this week, I listened to a lot of Disgraceland. Yeah. So I think it influenced how I wrote the story this week. Okay. And you said, well, that was the only thing Will would let you listen to. Is it because it's not too stabby? Well... (laughs) accidentally i turned on an episode uh it was about the beach boys yeah and the manson stabbings uh yeah <laughs> yeah he went into full detail the what's his name uh on disgraceland he went into full detail about how sharon tate died yeah that was a nasty one and i wasn't expecting it because i was like oh beach boys oh it'll be fine wouldn't it be nice <laughs> if we were older <laughs> yeah the jolliest and then it got to that part and will and i were just sitting in the car silent listen- <laughs> listening and- you've been driving for three days he's like she's about to stab me <laughs> yeah. i was like sorry <laughs> i was watching a program about oj which i would not stop banging on about on social media and um vince was watching it and i was like kind of explaining a bits to him and stuff but he got like, he didn't really have a choice because he walked in as it was on so you can't walk in and go right turn that <laughs> off like it's not his house <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so he walked in and he was like, oh, you know, like trying to be polite and act interested. And then it just showed a picture of like Nicole Brown on the floor, like completely savage. Nothing was no. blurred out. I was like, fuck. <laughs> I was like, sorry. I was like, that's a bit rich, even for my blood. <laughs> Never mind. Still, it's like you you can't not expect that kind of thing when you're in the house. Something like that. Or, yeah. <laughs> when I'm in the house, that's probably what's going to happen. <laughs> Just don't look at the TV. All right, back to the story. Yeah. By 1964, Bobby and his band set their sights for Hollywood, and they, along with the Fuller mother, Lorraine, moved to Los Angeles. Um, also, side note, Lorraine had an older son. He was older than Bobby, and he was killed in, like, a mugging. Wow. A robbing incident. So she was very, like, wanted to keep a close eye on the rest of her boys because she was worried. I was going to say, that's super supportive going, moving to LA. Yeah. So they moved to LA. The band were promptly signed by Bob Keane, owner of Delphi Records, who was noted for discovering Richie Valens. He kickstarted the career of Sam Cooke and he produced a lot of surf music and things like that. So he was kind of successful. It's just that easy, wasn't it, in the 40s? You just show up. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> just show up i know just go to la and and find a manager and you're good i'm here to You'll follow my dream fans in no time yeah <laughs> done so fuller's band were now called the bobby fuller four and their popularity rose in hollywood where their clean cut look stuck out among the hippie shaggy bands that were a dime a dozen in la at that time a dime a dozen bet they were think like charles manson and those kind of people were rolling around in LA. Yeah. Also, sorry, can I just interrupt you with a story of today I went to a park in Bristol and um yeah. there was a guy and he was looking after a like a big group of kids like for an activity of some sort of activity thing. And he was wearing like, you know, those trousers that are just like they're like harem pants basically. They're really baggy in the crotch. Yes. <laughs> like <laughs> Yes. 
So he had those on and then like a sort of tie-dye vest and he had white dreadlocks and he was telling the kids off because they had dropped his crystal ball on the tarmac and scratched it. <laughs> what? And I was that like, definitely sounds like Bristol. I was just like, what the fuck? <laughs> is, he a, like, is he a plant? Because that's just silly now. <laughs> It was ridiculous. Did someone hire him to be a, an extra while you were walking through the park? He, he was like, as well, he was like, oh, you shouldn't have dropped it on that tarmac. You scratched it now. Like, really serious. <laughs> to be fair, crystal balls are expensive. So. <laughs> but you would know. <laughs> I do. Uh, side note, I produce a Psychics podcast. <gasps> oh, yes. So. Oh, my God. I so need to listen to that. Yeah. If anyone needs a podcast producer... That's me. That's Rachel. Come on. <laughs> Girl's got to eat. It's called Psych in the City if anyone wants to check it out. Fucking subscribe now. I am doing it. <laughs> in 1966, they came out with the song. It's a very famous song. You'll know it. I Fought the Law. What? And that entered them into the top 10 and it turned them into teen idols. Oh my God. Who Like, did The Clash cover that or The Who or? Yeah, they'd covered it first. So it was written and performed first by the Crickets, which were Buddy Holly's band. They did it after Buddy Holly died, and then they passed it along to the Bobby Fuller Four. Oh my god. And then that's what made them pretty famous. Wow. And then after that, a bunch of people covered it. The Clash. Yeah. Uh, Bruce Springsteen. Green Day. Ugh. <laughs> don't. Oh my god. Sorry, another sidebar. I've got to tell you this because we've had some fan mail... <laughs> Oh right! What? Well, basically, wait. Are you talking about the no, not the, the hate mail? Who were no, pissed off? no, not that. <laughs> <laughs> we promised we weren't going to mention that. No. So, um, so it's basically a friend from my hometown listens to the podcast, and mm -hmm. I say wrote in, left a comment on Instagram, which is today's writing in. Surely, if anything is yes. <laughs> I mean, we yes. don't we don't have a post box. <laughs> um, <laughs> he commented on our episode eleven, which was about the who and about yes. Teddy Kennedy. Got a lot of reactions yes. to that one. That was the one that got the hate mail as yeah. well. Um, someone was very angry that we slagged off Ted Kennedy's looks. Uh, but anyway, Ed, my, my friend, he said, about Green Day inviting people on stage, he said, at 16, my first Reading Festival, <laughs> they asked for a drummer from the crowd and I was at the front, in brackets, a drummer. But didn't get... What? Yeah, but didn't get called up, brackets, devastated. <laughs> then at the... <laughs> <laughs> then at the end of the show, they burned the beautiful drum kit they were using, in brackets, filling my soul with hate. <laughs> and I didn't listen to them for about a decade. Dramatic, I know. <laughs> and that's his, wow. And that's his story about Green Day inviting people on stage. I get it. Mate, I'd rather be at the back, so I'm like, there's no chance. Even if they see me, there's no chance. Like... I know they want me, but... That's when when I saw them, I was 18 at Oxygen Festival in Dublin. Nice. And I was way far back. Not that I would have been asked on stage because I don't know how to play like, what the you guitar gonna... or the drums. Just going to play the spoons along to American Idiot. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Nice. They did pull a girl up on stage, so that was cool. That is cool. Back to ba Bobby Fuller. Yeah. So they came out... 1966 they came out with the song i fought the law that put them in the top 10 and it, it turned them into teen idols pretty much overnight things started to slip downhill around this time bob keen their manager tried to mold fuller into a star he pushed the band into a grueling tour schedule and he created dumb marketing gimmicks for the band 
which included a cameo in the Nancy Sinatra movie, The Ghost in the Invisible Bikini. Okay, there's a bit to unpack there. So, Ghost in the Invisible Bikini... <laughs> <Yes. laughs> okay, Ghost in the Invisible Bikini doesn't sound like the best film, but Nancy Sinatra's a big deal. She's in The Sopranos, yeah. if you remember. Yes. She's the elder daughter of Frank Sinatra and Nancy Sinatra. So that's confusing because his mum is called... The mum is called Nancy and the daughter's called Nancy. Oh, She's currently 80 Under years old, Sinatra. so she's still alive. Yeah. Still alive and kicking. Yeah. And she lives but in so Jersey. So she was in the... Oh, okay. <laughs> what, Jersey in England? No. <laughs> Jersey, like oh. New New Jersey. Okay, New Jersey. What the fuck is that <laughs> accent? <laughs> but yeah, in the 60s, there were so many of those kinds of movies where it was just really like the ghost in the invisible bikini, just titles like that where it was just teen movies where people would be dancing on the beach being like hey you're cute i'm trying you know? i'm trying to figure out whether a ghost in an invisible bikini is sexy or not like <laughs> i can't see anything but supposedly you are you can see just but the bikini's invisible what? and so are you technically so i can see yeah, nothing ghost. so what's the point in saying it has an invisible bikini because it's just naked well if it had an actual bikini it would just be a floating bikini <laughs> Well, we should start a podcast about 1960s movies. Well, I could start off and tell were... you that one sounds shit, so. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like the Beach Boys did it. Uh, the Bobby Fuller band stood in the back. They were a band in the background. Yeah. And they just played along while a scene was going along, which is what a lot of bands did at that time. I don't think that's a crap marketing gimmick. I included that one because it was just kind of funny. That's but a hilarious there just name. just other ones where, yeah, and he would... <laughs> Bob Keen would just like really overproduce and overdub and he tried to get Barry White to sing on their one of their songs and they were just he was just being really controlling of them. Yeah. Around this time Bobby also began experimenting with LSD, which was legal at that time. Oh dear. Which further pushed him away from his bandmates. And reality Fuller began feeling <laughs> Yes. <laughs> Fuller began feeling stifled and alienated from the rest of the band. He didn't gel with the new pop look they were going for, and he wanted to stick to his Texas roots and sound. There were rumors of him going solo or even moving back to El Paso to continue running the teen club Rendezvous. So their song got really popular. He wasn't very happy with the way they were being projected. Not long after the release of their hit song, things took a turn for the worst. In the early hours of July 18th, 1966, which the week that this episode comes out will be the week of July 18th. Oh my God, that's spooky. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Fuller received a phone call and left his Hollywood apartment in his mother's blue Oldsmobile. It was like 2 a.m. Mm -hmm. Also, the apartment was right in Hollywood, right off the Hollywood Rock of Fame. Okay. It was called the Sycamore Apartments, I think. So where you um, near where you used to live. Yes. And near where the Chinese theater is, yeah. where the hands in the sidewalk. Yeah. Both his bandmates and his mother had no idea where he was. He was supposed to make an important meeting that morning, and it wasn't like him to skip out on appointments, especially related to his music. He took his career really seriously. His mother kept returning to the parking lot of her apartment, hoping to see Bobby drive up with her car. So just imagine Lorraine already stressing out because one of her sons died already. Yeah, this is a living nightmare for her, isn't it? Yeah. Later on in the afternoon, after his bandmates were looking for him, 
They had rescheduled the meeting a couple of times because he never turned up. And his mom just, you know, kept going back to the parking lot hoping to see him drive up. Fuller's body was found sprawled on the front seat of the car, a gas can nearby. His body was doused with gasoline. The car had been in the parking lot outside the apartment for 30 minutes before his mother discovered the body. Shit. Bruises covered Fuller's arms and body, prompting speculation that he had been beaten or dragged. The autopsy found no evidence that Fuller was beaten. The report stated the gas vapors and the summer heat probably caused hemorrhages on the body. The medical examiner checked both the accidental, in quotes, and suicide, in quotes, boxes on the report with a question mark next to each. Hmm. In a car is always a difficult one, isn't it? Because that's where people go a lot of the time. Yeah, to, right. To kill themselves because it's like a, your own private thing that you can lock. Yeah. Well, there's some sketchy things about how he was found and what happened afterwards. Okay. So LAPD on the scene disposed of the gas can without dusting for fingerprints. Since it was assumed suicide, Fuller's associates weren't immediately questioned and minimal effort was made into an investigation. Multiple newspapers heavily implied that he died by suicide. The LA Times reported, Musician Robert Fuller, 23, was found dead on the parking lot at his Hollywood apartment house with a plastic hose in his hands leading to a gasoline can, which I don't think was true. No, that's not how you said it at the first bit. Yeah, there's more about how his mother found him and how they reported it. Yeah were completely different. Okay. While the police and press assumed suicide, his family have always maintained foul play. He was not suicidal and was on the rise for superstardom before his death. He had lots of plans, too. He was going to buy his bandmates Ferrari. He was planning on telling people he might go solo, stuff like that. Mm. The many questions surrounding Bobby's death has led to a range of conspiracy theories, one of the biggest was that he pissed someone off in the mob. Nancy Sinatra was around, <laughs> and she had, that's true. She had really big mob ties. I, I mean, Frank Sinatra, he did. Yeah, definitely. That's yeah. that's plausible. Well, there's there's things a lot closer than Nancy Sinatra. Okay, go on then. All right, so Fuller was found inside the driver's seat as if he'd driven himself home, but no keys were found in the ignition. And according to witnesses, Fuller's body showed signs of violence. In addition to the burns doctors said were caused by prolonged gasoline contact under the hot sun, he was covered in bruises and one finger was bent backwards. Oh, that's a bad sign. <laughs> mm-hmm. And by the time he was discovered, Fuller's body showed signs of rigor mortis, which usually does not happen until several hours after death. Mm-hmm. Further... Fuller's bladder was full, which indicated that he had perhaps been unconscious for some time before he died. So that was in the car, and then his mom said she would basically go down every 30 minutes to see if he was driving up, if, to see if the car was there, to see if he was parked. Yeah. And so she said she went and checked, and no one was there, went up to her apartment for 30 minutes, came back down, and he was there. That's when she found him. Yeah, because I was going to say... I was like, wait, he was just outside the apartment, but you said that she was checking all the time anyway. Yeah, he couldn't have driven up and died within 30 minutes. So it's like somebody drove him there, took the keys out, shut the door, walked away. Doused him in gasoline. Maybe they tried to light it on fire and yeah. it didn't work. Well, that's usually like quite a threatening thing, isn't it? That, that the mob would do is to douse you in gasoline and then say like, just 
taunt you basically and say like if you don't yeah. don't tell us what we want or maybe they're like meant to kill him they maybe they didn't mean to kill him but the beating and the gasoline like killed him yeah but then what did he do to piss them off he's only a kid all right well let's get into it sorry i fucking every week i guess this this is what i'm trying you're to... asking the right questions i'm trying to stay quiet <laughs> <laughs> So Bobby Fuller was likely preparing to break contract and go solo or perhaps even leave Los Angeles altogether, leaving both Delphi Records and their investors in the lurch. It was an open secret at that time that some of these investors and many local music venue owners had ties to organized crime. Yes. There were even rumors that a woman Bobby Fuller went to meet that night, uh, the night he went missing, was romantically tied to a mobster. Ah. We'll talk about her in a second. Okay. So Morris Levy, owner of Roulette Records, he was a notorious figure once described as the godfather of the American music business, and he was known to have a reputation of roughing people up, exploiting his artists, and he had ties to the Gambino, ah. Genovese, and Di Calvel... I'm going to read this again. <laughs> They're going to shoot you, Rach. Get it right. <laughs> I know. Get my name right. Right. The Cavalcanti crime families. Okay. I'm not sure if I said the that Gam- right. The Gambino one I've heard of and the other one I heard of, but I haven't heard of that last one. Yeah. So he had ties to them and he was one of the investors in Delphi Records as well. Yeah. So... He's just known to be one of those typical mob guys. I'm obsessed with a mob, mate. Um, Love it. I know. It's so interesting. The Sopranos uh, is crazy. Like, if if you haven't... I know you've watched Sopranos, but, like, if anyone out there hasn't watched Sopranos, what the fuck are you doing? Turn this off and go and watch <laughs> Sopranos, and then come back when you've watched Sopranos. Oh, my gosh. It's so good. I've watched it three times all the way through, and I want to watch it a fourth. Have you? Yeah. I want to watch it a fourth, and I can't justify it, because... I want to watch it with Vince, but he doesn't understand the accent. So I have to like find one with good subtitles. And the oh man, yeah, the subtitles are like automatically generated on Amazon. So they're just like they don't they're not even words. <laughs> and they're really laggy. And Vince was like, I can't watch this. Oh. <laughs> and I was like, no. Just tell him to get used to the accent. Tell him to just try harder. Listen to different. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I remember when I was a kid and we lived in Minnesota and my mom is English and she would want to watch EastEnders <laughs> and my dad did not understand the accent. It's not even but he that still hard. watched it with her. <laughs> I know. That's an easy one. There were just one. some accents sometimes. I suppose. So. Yeah. Um, also, I find it's hard to understand stuff when you're not concentrating because you don't. You're not interested. <laughs> that might be. Yeah. That might be part of the problem. <laughs> that's true which i don't want to consider because i want to watch the fucking sopranos again (laughs) um yes so this guy is a mob guy he beats people up yes and then also so the girl that bobby might have been connected to so it's also not clear if the record company assigned a girl named melody or if bobby just met her and became friends with her but the two became joined at the hip what they mean assigned her to look after him tell you okay (laughs) fuck's sake even though they weren't romantically involved melody seemed to mirror bobby's every move it was reported that melody was a call girl and had ties to the la mob Hmm. she was assigned to bobby supposedly to extract information about his future as far as leaving the record company i mean that's pretty intense 
full. I know. I would possibly believe it, but it also seems really petty of a mob to do that. But then the mob can be petty. Yeah. So And I suppose if she's just hanging around, they're like, what are you doing hanging around? Let's give you a job. And there were there were different places that said she was a call girl and a sex worker. Mm. And I really don't think that she was. I just think that she just hung around with the band and and knew different people and Bit of a roadie, maybe she like, was kinda groupy. Yeah. Yeah. And with the mob. So maybe like a mob groupie. <laughs> mob <know>. roadie. <laughs> so 10 days after canceling a show in San Francisco and making his future plans known to a number of people, Bobby Fuller was found dead. So they're saying that he had told her and a couple of other close people. He had also canceled his show. So I think all of those things possibly pissed off the mob who were part of Delphi Records. Hmm. It's funny. It's like, is he worth more to them dead, though? Well, we'll get Fuck! into that. <laughs> you, I'm just going to shut you the ask the questions up. of the. <laughs> so Delphi Records had collected on the death of Richie Valens. Do you know who he is? Yeah, isn't he like with the big bopper or the Valance and the boppers or? Yeah, he sang the that famous song La Bamba. Yeah, what a tune! So he had died and. Delphi Records had uh, managed him and they put out a life insurance on him so they collected money on him. Okay. I would not let them have life insurance on me. (laughs) Well, here's what happened. Each of the Fuller Band members had insurance policy paid for by Delphi Records. The policies were reported to be $100,000 each. That's loads Which was a lot of money in the 60s. Yeah. Yeah. Four days after Bobby's death... Three armed men supposedly showed up at the apartment shared by the two other band members, Jim Reese and Dalton Powell. They hid from the gunmen, and the next day they called Delphi and had them cancel the insurance policies, and they left town. Well, yeah. Also, when you said three armed men, I really thought you meant a man with three arms. (laughs) I was like, whoa. Three men, comma, armed. (laughs) Yeah, three men with arms guns (laughs) so yeah to answer your question the band after bobby fuller died and they had been threatened by three armed men (laughs) (laughs) they skipped town and they called delphi and were like no cancel it uh yeah cancel our insurance policies so a relative of sam cook also noted that sam cook's death and bobby fuller's death had similarities and both musicians also had ties to bob keen There's a documentary on Netflix about Sam Cooke's death. There's some theories about his death and possible ties to the mob and things like that. So That's definitely on my list to watch. Um, yeah. Friends also suspected that Charles Manson and or the Manson family may have had something to do with Bobby's death. But that was later debunked as Manson was in jail at that time. Also, like, uh, they wanted to start a race war and they wanted, and they stabbed people. They didn't want to make a secret of it, so. Yeah, and that that wasn't their MO, like. It's not their style. Dousing people in gasoline. No. Exactly. That's a mob style, isn't it? Threatening. Right. So that's the story of the mysterious death of musician Bobby Fuller. See, uh, that was great. But like, <laughs> there's no answers, you know? It's the same with the unsolved. It is. Uh, that Conspiracy theories are basically unsolved mysteries. But I think this one's pretty straightforward. What do you I think, think happened? I do think it was the mob. There's a book that came out. It was called I Fought the Law. Mm. 
and it was about this and the writer kind of makes a good case about Morris Levy Mm -hmm. because their brother who's still alive and he still talks about this and how there needs to be justice and things like that good luck he said that it was a show that they were at and Randy Fuller saw Bobby Fuller talking to Bob Keen and another guy he didn't know who the other guy was and he didn't think anything of it but then when the writer of the book showed him a picture of Morris Levy like years and years later and he didn't know who it was still and she asked him to like point him out in a picture and it was him and she thinks that that was the person who was kind of tied to all this. Mm-hmm. I was going to say, but it was I was on a run of interrupting you and ruining your story, so I didn't I didn't want to like <laughs> chip in again. But one of the things I, I was going to say, which I probably should have said because you, it wasn't one of the theories. You mentioned he liked LSD. Yes, what if it was just a bad trip. But then, well, that that is a theory, but a lot of his family and friends said that he was too focused on his career. So he just da- and dabbled. even though he was yeah, he was even though he was doing LSD, he would he would still turn up to meetings cuz he was really serious about his career and he was a you know, he wasn't happy at the time, but he wasn't suicidal. No. So the, there is a possibility that he had a really weird LSD trip, but I still don't think the way that he was found would promote that. I think... Because it means that somebody did something to him, you know? Yeah, that's an anti-drugs campaign theory because getting beaten and having gasoline poured over you, if you watch The Sopranos, that's their MO. Like... (laughs) Exactly. Tie you to a chair, fuck you up, like, threaten... Break your finger. Break your finger back, yeah. Threaten you, like... Like, what for? Like, sometimes it could just be, like, disrespect... Like, they are yeah. just really proud and, like, they won't let anybody fuck them over. Like, and if they let someone get away with fucking them over, that makes them look weak. So they're, like, right. proper militia, can't let things go. This is just an example of a conspiracy the- theory that is probably closest to the truth. Yeah. Okay. That was great. Thanks. I'm definitely going to watch that Sam Cooke documentary as well on Netflix because that might be one that Vince might be interested in as well because it doesn't seem too murdery. It's a bit music. Like, I try and sneak stuff in, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, do you like Sam Cooke? Let's watch this documentary. By the way, he dies. I've pressed play. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've just finished watching that uh, OJ documentary and oh my fucking God, it's mm-hmm. so good. It It like starts off like oj's youth then it because it's five episodes and it starts off in oj's youth then it goes to his like college football career and i didn't know he had a first wife like he had a wife before Mm. nicole who was black and then that's like another reason that um he did very well at trial is because they had eight black female jurors and he Mm. he was seen as like a bit of a race traitor because mm. he hung out with all white people in Beverly Hills. He ha- had a white wife and he left his black wife with his children to, mm-hmm. like, just abandoned her, basically, when he got rich and stuff. So right. they just had very little sympathy for Nicole. Um, mm. And it's also got Mar- what she called Marsha Clark in it as well. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's so good. Like, I saw some footage of uh, her just saying, like, to basically her partner like her lawyer partner not her partner partner a journalist comes up to her and she's like can i just punch him in the fucking face 
she's just so i love her i know i love her too she's just so pissed off with people like harassing her as a result of it so good she has a podcast too i know and it's but i don't know if it's moved it's called like case closed with marsha clark or something move not marsha clark obviously yeah anyway yeah her podcast i've only listened to like six episodes of it and i can't see anymore maybe she only did like a series which is such and... such a tease because they were so good I know. It had- it's like, um, oh, there's a podcast that I really loved and it just stopped. Oh my completely. God. That's what people are going to say about ours. <laughs> <laughs> no, we'll do it till we're 45. We're never going to stop. Yeah. It, I think it was called The Mystery Show or something like that. And it was really good. <laughs> the host of the podcast would solve really weird mysteries. Like there's an episode, <laughs> there's an episode of... <laughs> How tall is Jake Gyllenhaal? What? Because, <laughs> I know, it's so dumb. Like, when you read it or hear it, but it's a really interesting episode because she talks about, like, how Hollywood exaggerate people's, you know, heights or, or uh, like, stature, you know, physical appearances. Yeah. yeah. In order for them to get jobs and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, like, Tom Cruise has blatantly got some Cuban heels on. At all times. Oh my gosh, all the time. <laughs> one built up shoe. <laughs> he is, yeah, he has constantly got insoles. Yeah, but I would recommend that podcast, but I hate that it's, she just stopped and I would always check back to see if she was going to do more. Mate, that's what I and do. And she's just, yeah. And it's just she's not She's just there. moved on from it. It's just not there. I know. <laughs> so sad. <laughs> Maybe it'll come back. No, it won't. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. Um, Okay, so do you want to hear my story this week? I do. I'm excited. Are you? You better be. Yes. <laughs> I love conspiracy theories. You do. And so let's get into this. Okay, so I think if if we say that the moon landing is the biggest conspiracy theory in America, this has got to be the biggest conspiracy theory in England. It Can I guess? Yeah. Is it Princess Diana? It is. <laughs> <laughs> yes <laughs> okay it's quite long but i wanted to give a bit of background because that gives the motives as to why loads of people think it's a conspiracy theory so diana francis spencer was born into the british nobility on the 1st of july 1961 and grew up close to the royal family on their sandringham estate which is in norfolk which is east in east of england and it's really flat and there's loads of lovely beaches and it's yeah it's really gorgeous place to live um Mm, yeah so the youngest daughter of earl john spencer and francis shand kid that her parents got divorced when she was six and this strongly affected her when she was 17 in 1978 she moved to london where she lived with flatmates and took on various low-paying jobs um so basically she didn't mind getting her hands dirty prince charles was dating sarah spencer princess diana's sister and that's how he met diana so 13 years later i did not know that yep He's a lot older than her, which I didn't know either. Yeah. 13 years later, in 1980, Diana and Prince Charles began dating. When they started dating, he was 31 years old and she was 18 years old. That's a big gap. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you don't. You sound like you're fine with it. No, I, I mean, I'm not because 18 is like, you're just an adult. Yeah. Like, how much do you know? You know nothing and you're dating. Also, I'm just, <laughs> I'm immediately going to, how did he... Date and marry a beautiful younger woman. I know. And then move over to Camilla. Oh my God, don't get me started. Like, Camilla's, yeah. Camilla's name is Mud in this house. 
I fucking hate her. Where isn't it? Where isn't it? Some people you really know? like her. Some people are Team Camilla. Somebody explain if that if that's the case for any of our listeners. Watch, we'll get hate mail. I don't care. <laughs> in bring line it on. Of the Ted Kennedy. <laughs> bring it on. I like like when I read that hate explain. mail. When I read that hate mail, I was like, do you know what? Just proves you listen. Yeah. So I don't give a shit. <laughs> Thanks for listening. <laughs> it made me feel like a real podcaster. So Diana became noticed by the press in 1981. She was 21 when Prince Charles proposed. And at the time of the proposal, Prince Charles and Diana had been on 12 dates together. So they really didn't know each other. I wonder in terms of like royalty, if that's a lot. Yeah. Or if that is... Because, you know, sometimes people would marry each other after meeting the first time. Yeah, it's kind of like an arranged marriage almost without it being called that. They like matchmaking you. Also, what did they do on their dates? Did they go bowling? No. They They had to obviously go behind (laughs) closed doors or in like the special part of the restaurant or whatever. I mean, he's the future king. Yeah. He's the future king of England. I know he's not that that great looking, but that's still pretty flattering. Yeah. Especially to an 18 year old. So basically, I think the reason that she was chosen and that they like pushed her to marry him, uh, sorry, pushed him to marry her was because she at that time was reportedly a virgin she'd never mm. she'd never had a boyfriend okay they saw her as somebody that was very unspoiled mm. and that's appealing to them whereas camilla parker bowles because she married she was called camilla shand and then she married andrew parker bowles which was like the love of her life and she had got around a bit and everyone in that circle knew that she had so they were like you're really not queen material basically so, sorry, my, my story kind of uh, highlights that. So it says, Prince Charles was actually in love with Camilla Shand, who didn't share his feelings for her and was hellbent on marrying her true love, Andrew Parker Bowles, which she did in July 1973. Heartbroken, Charles was under a lot of pressure to get married. And so his and Diana's wedding took place at St. Paul's Cathedral um, and made her Princess of Wales. The couple welcomed their first child, Prince William, in 1982, and then their second, Prince Harry, in 1984, who were then second and third in line to the British throne. So as Princess of Wales, Diana was expected to complete royal duties on behalf of the Queen and represent her at functions. The British public loved her. She was beautiful, shy, compassionate, and she never hesitated when interacting with the people that she was helping. The charities she worked most on included children's charities, but she later became known for her involvement with AIDS patients and campaigning for the removal of landmines. She also raised awareness and advocated ways to help people affected with cancer and mental illness. She is famously pictured hugging and holding hands with people who had cancer, HIV and AIDS, something no one else in the royal family would ever have done, especially in the 80s when people were extremely prejudiced against HIV and AIDS sufferers, believing you could catch the disease by simply touching someone. In a royal family known for being stiff, cold and standoffish, she was warm, relatable and welcoming. Aww. Yeah, this lovely, like, she. there's pictures of her with basically, like, full-on anti-bomb gear on, walking through a fucking field that's just been cleared of landmines. Yeah. She just does whatever she wants that, that, she, that she... I'm just glad that her, her sons had someone like that as their mom to look up to. Oh my god, it's so sweet. Like, I've obviously done a lot of reading around it and it says that she took them to school herself and like that had never happened Mm -hmm. before in the royal family she was a really hands-on mum whereas the rest of the royal family literally just had nannies to do all their work for them so she kind of didn't fit in and diana's marriage to charles suffered due to their incompatibility and extramarital affairs on both sides so camilla and prince charles reportedly began having an affair in 1986 
Their affair became a major source of conflict in the marriage, as Diana knew he'd always loved Camilla and the two were forbidden from marrying. So then Diana and Charles separated in 1992 and they divorced in 1996. And then two years after their separation in 1995, Diana took part in a famously open interview for the BBC current affairs show Panorama. When asked about Prince Charles' affair with Camilla Parker Bowles, Diana famously quipped, well, there were three of us in the marriage, so it was a bit crowded. Wow. (laughs) She also confirmed her affairs, and this was not well received by the royal family. I can't remember his name now, but she had an affair with uh, a polo player, and he looks the spitting image of Harry. So there's also rumours yeah. that Harry isn't Charles's son. Yeah. So kind of like Chloe Kardashian. Oh, is there rumours she's not? <laughs> there's rumours that she's not uh, Rob. Rob Kardashian's. There's rumours that she is OJ's. Fuck off. You didn't know that? Oh, do you know what? Now you're saying it like it, because she's the only one that visits him in prison or something as well. What? What? That's what I heard. She's the only one that she either visited him or called him in prison. But then aren't the, the calls are recorded, so... Yeah, there's just, like, if you look at her when she's really young, you could see similarities, possibly. But if, but if you look at Nicole... They also address it... I am i can't believe we're talking about the Kardashians, but... <laughs> <laughs> but they address it in their show where she's like... Really? I think she's trying to tell her mom that she's going to take a DNA test or something, and... <sighs> Because there's there's just rumours that the mom slept with OJ. You're calling your mum a liar by saying that. Yeah. And also, like, if I recall, doesn't she not really not like OJ, the mum? They were good friends. Really? With Nicole and OJ. I thought... They were in a circle together, so there could, that could have happened. I don't know. Because there's, um, it's like um, an American crime story, OJ against the people or something. Um, yes, and it's got that's like really good. yeah, it's got Ross p- from Friends plays Rob Kardashian, and in yeah. in that I thought that what is the mum's name? Uh, I can't remember. But anyway, the mum. I'm both really glad that I can't remember her name, <laughs> and also really pissed off. I, know. I can't remember her name. <laughs> but anyway, in that particular show, she is really angry at OJ after the death of Nicole and she says to Rob Kardashian like he fucking did it like how can you be friends with him yeah so I don't know if that's complete like editorializing or if that actually happened I think it is because I think that they asked the Kardashians to give their two cents for that show oh really so usually when that happens then they put them in a good light yes that would make total sense anyway so after the divorce the press attention on diana which was extremely intense before got even more hectic as everyone wanted to see what she would do next and in the weeks leading up to her death it seemed that diana had found true happiness with dodi al-fayed so he is the millionaire son of egyptian business owner Mohammed Alf Mohammed Al Fayed who owns Harrods in Knightbridge. Do you want to tell people what Harrods is because Oh, I don't think people who aren't from the UK know okay. exactly what Harrods so, is. So, Harrods, it's a big department store in London in Knightsbridge, but it's basically like a tourist attraction because it's so posh like they have all the best stuff in there. Like, it's completely premium. Like, you can get like Harrods crackers for Christmas, like, you know the crackers that you pull. And they'll, but they're like a hundred bucks. Yeah, a cracker, and it'll have like yeah, it'll have like a silver fucking oyster spoon or something in it, like ridiculous right. gifts that you would never use. Yeah. <laughs> like, and like celebrities will ask, like, there's 
a story of like Michael Jackson. Yeah, just goes in there and goes, I'll have one of everything. He just, yeah, he shuts down the whole store and buys whatever he wants. And yeah, yeah, it's just very rich. It's for rich people. It is for rich people. It's got like a toys department as well, which has like gigantic bears that are like three grand and just, it's the most opulent like thing ever. So yeah, so Mohammed El-Fayed owns that. He also owns a lot of hotels as well around the world. He's just kind of a property tycoon kind of thing. But yeah, so the pair moved in similar circles and had seen each other at polo events and film premieres in London's West End. However, it wasn't until July 1997 that Diana and Dodie started a relationship during a luxury summer break in the south of France. Like, she lives the life. Throughout the summer, a carefree 36-year-old Diana was pictured relaxing with 42-year-old Dodie, who had reportedly broken off his engagement with an American model to be with her. She was pictured lounging on the deck of the yacht with Dodie, kissing and cuddling him. The pictures of them kissing were sold for more than £1 million around the world. She was hot property in terms of if you got a picture of her doing something or anything, the the papers want to see it. Like, people had a thirst for knowing what she was up to. Um, Yeah. So, on Saturday the 31st of August 1997... Diana and Dodie were staying at the Ritz Hotel in Paris, which was owned by Dodie's father. They'd stopped there en route to London, having spent the preceding nine days together on board Mohamed Al-Fayed's yacht Jeanical on the French and Italian Riviera. Like, what a summer. <laughs> yes, please. I know. <laughs> um, I could never get to that point. No, but like, can I have a go on your yacht? Um, yeah. They had intended to stay at the Ritz for the night. There were about 30 paparazzi around the front door, so it was just getting a bit much. So there's a guy called Henry Paul. Well, he's, he's French, so it's H-E-N-R-I, so it's probably Henri, but I'm not going to do that. Um, so <laughs> I can't say that. So Henry Paul, the deputy of security at the Ritz, had been instructed to drive a hired black Mercedes-Benz in order to elude the paparazzi. So a decoy vehicle left the Ritz first from the main entrance, attracting a throng of photographers. And then Diana and Dodie left from the hotel's rear entrance at around 20 past midnight. And they were heading for an apartment in Rua Senhusei. And they did this to avoid nearly... Sorry, I've already mentioned that. But they did this to avoid nearly 30 photographers waiting at the front of the hotel. Dodie and Diana were seated in the back of the car. And Trevor Reese jones a member of the Fayad family's personal protection team, was in the front passenger seat. And nobody in the car was wearing seatbelts. Um, assu- it's a Saturday, and they've just got back off holiday, and I'm assuming a few drinks were had at this point. Yeah. Um, so Were seatbelts, like, a big thing back then? Not uh, like- really. Like, I kind of... Well, this is... I mean, this is 1997. I remember when I was a kid, you could get away with not having your seatbelt on, but there, then it got to a point where people, where people were like, you have to put it on or you get fined by the police. It wasn't put yeah. it on or you'll be thrown from the car if we crash. <laughs> like, right. people... I don't think people quite realised until there was... Well, in England, anyway, there was an um, advertising campaign. There was a really famous saying in it, and it was like... Sophie knew her killer or something and basically mm. it was somebody in the back seat wasn't wearing a seatbelt and they th- they were thrown forward in a crash and like smacked the person in front and then that person died as a result of that yes did you have that same campaign right. uh, no I only saw it because when we moved to Ireland then it showed it there that was on tv all the time yeah yeah it was really and it was really jarring too because it was horrible 
like in America, we had already been past that point where everyone was wearing seatbelts. It wasn't like a huge thing to, you know, it wasn't like a public service announcement. Yeah. In the 90s, it, we had already been through that. So that's why I asked about you guys. Yeah. Yeah, I think it was when I was a kid, so probably like, I don't know, around this time, 1997. Maybe, do you know what? It might have even right. been as a result of this. Like, you don't know. Yeah, but, um, probably. Also, like, I remember when I, I don't remember it, but like my brother Ben does when we were younger, there was a, a public safety campaign about don't hide in empty fridges. <laughs> what? Because people used to like dump their fridge on the street. Like, what's it called? Um, fly tipping. Like, when you just, chuck your crap on the street because you can't be bothered to take it to the dump <laughs> like yeah. it costs money to get like you have to get somebody to pick up your old washing machine or your old fridge because it has to be disposed of sa- right. safely and if so people would just leave their fridge on the street and then like kids would get in them and then suffocate so they no. they literally had to do a campaign saying please don't climb in fridges <laughs> because there were too many kids doing that yeah. that's crazy <laughs> I can't believe like, and it just, and like, you didn't have that in America. No. <laughs> no, our kids weren't fucking stupid enough. To, like. No, we have, uh, the only thing that I can think of for kids was smoking. No smoking. Okay, we had green cross. And green now cross it's code like, no, as well. but now it's like, you know, jewels. Yeah. The vapes. Yeah. Now it's like, don't smoke those. Well, what are people going to smoke? <laughs> <laughs> Nothing. It's bad for you. Well, you know, look, smoke weed, but don't <laughs> smoke, smoke weed every else. day. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. So they're in the car, bit pissed up, no seatbelts on. After leaving, they drove along the right bank of the River Seine. I think that's how you say it. Vince will listen to this and correct me. I'm sure. Or he won't. Do you know what? He doesn't listen to the podcast, and I make him feel bad about it all the time, and it really makes me laugh. Yeah, I do that too with Will. <laughs> He's like, I don't like murder and I hear you all the time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so after they uh, leave the bank of the scene, they go into an underpass. And then this is three minutes after they left the hotel. A Henry Paul lost control of the vehicle at the entrance to the tunnel. The car struck the right-hand wall and then swerved to the left of the two-lane carriageway before it collided head-on with the 13th pillar that supported the roof. The car was travelling at an estimated speed of 65 miles per hour. This was just over twice the speed limit in the tunnel. It then spun and hit the stone wall of the tunnel backwards, finally coming to a stop. Weren't they also being chased by paparazzi? Yes, they were. So that could have been why they were speeding up. Yes, so they, they were being chased by paparazzi and he was told to get away from them. But, right. I mean... What's worse, like a picture of Diana in the car or fucking plowing it into the side of a tunnel? Like, I think he's just really overestimated his driving ability because yeah, I would not feel comfortable going through a tunnel at anything more than like 28 miles per hour. Some people love speed. Oh, fuck it. Oh my God. It makes, it makes my piss boil when I see people speeding. There's mm. just no need. Anyway. I know. I totally agree. Um, but that might be me be- being old as well now. I'm just like, life is precious. <laughs> it, sli- it slips through your hands like the sands of time. <laughs> and before you know it, you're fucking applying like anti-aging cream. Please put that in quotes on like a, a beautiful mountain background. <laughs> you why? Yeah, I will. I will. <laughs> Little Before you know it, you're fucking <laughs> applying anti-aging cream. 
Right, so the impact caused substantial damage, particularly to the front half of the vehicle, as there was no guardrail between the pillars to prevent this. So witnesses arriving shortly after the accident reported seeing smoke, and they also reported that photographers on motorcycles swarmed the Mercedes sedan before it entered the tunnel. With the four occupants still in the now wrecked car, the photographers on motorcycles, who had been driving slower and were some distance behind the Mercedes, reached the scene. Some rushed to help, tried to open the doors and help the victims, while some of them simply took pictures. That's pretty grim. You should see the car. Imagine just being... I don't know. That fucking heartless. Like, you're taking a picture of somebody who has had their face smashed in by the front of a car, and you're just like, ding, 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 ding. Like... Yeah. Yeah. Like, like, get the fuck back. That's just gross. Right. You should see the car as well. It is absolutely crumpled. Like... I worked on a show called The 90s for CNN. Yeah, yeah. So you've seen this. So my job was to watch all of the archival footage that we had. And uh, I bet that was a cheery day. (laughs) Oh my gosh. It was like my first two weeks of the job. (laughs) I had to watch Princess Diana's funeral over and over and over from all different angles. I watched Prince William and Prince Harry walk. Oh, that's the worst bit. down the street in front of everyone i had to watch all of the footage from many different angles of them pulling the car out of the tunnel i think they used a crane or something and like it is fucked isn't it the car is just yeah crumpled up like a piece of paper right and then just all the footage of the hundreds of people like leaving flowers in france and in england and this was all for like a segment in our show that didn't even get shown. No, and it they was cut about, you. <laughs> it was about, I know, it was about like how bad the tabloids were at that time, especially in England and how they started growing in America. Yeah, they were awful. Just how ex- the extreme lengths that people went to to get pictures, to tell a story, to sell newspapers, et cetera, et cetera. Like, journalists would go through your bins, sit in your bushes, like, yeah. They would hound people. Mm -hmm. And then if you hit them or push them away, like, that's assault. Yeah, Because they're not, not, like, stalking you. They're in in air quotes. You had to take it. Yeah, yeah. Basically, that's the price you pay for being a celebrity, is was was people's attitude. They're like, oh, poor celebrities, like, you know... But then shit like this happens. Which was never, right, which was never Princess Diana's, uh, it's not like she wanted to be famous. No. I think she just wanted to be a good mom. Yeah. And a good person. And I think when you're 18 and the future King of England is asking you to marry him, what the fuck are you supposed to say? Yeah. You're not going to say no. Like. Right. Not you one person. You kind of have to say yes. Yeah, you do. Like, not one person around you is going to say, nah, knock him back, you might get a better offer. Like, yeah. No, you're never going to get not a better... that good looking. Maybe, yeah. You're never going to get a better offer. <laughs> Do you want to be the queen? Right. <laughs> so the airbags were deployed, and then police arrived on the scene around 10 minutes after the crash, and an ambulance arrived five minutes after the police. So France Info Radio reported that one photographer was beaten by a witness who were horrified by the scene. Rightly so. Uh, five yeah. of the photographers were taken into custody, and later two others were detained with around 20 rolls of film, which were taken from them. They also impounded their vehicles. Still conscious, Reese Jones had suffered multiple facial injuries and a head wound. Diana, who had been sitting in the right rear passenger seat, was still conscious, but she was critically injured. 
and they could hear her repeatedly murmuring, oh my God. And after the photographers and other helpers were pushed away by the police, she said, leave me alone. It was reported that Diana had no visible injuries, but was in shock. So she was removed from the car at 1am. She then went into cardiac arrest and then following CPR, her heart started beating again. She was then moved to an ambulance at 18 minutes past one and left the scene at 1.41 and arrived at the Petit Salpetrier Hospital at 2.06. I don't understand if she had no visible injuries. I guess it was all internal? Yeah, that's the problem. And uh, I've watched some documentaries on this and that is the problem, is that she looked fine and then obviously Mm. they had something hooked up to her heart and her heart just stopped beating. And they were like, shit, yeah. like, I, ca- I can't see what it would be. So they just, that's, people say it took ages to get her to the hospital, but in their defense, mm-hmm. they had to perform, they had to perform CPR on her there. And it was only when right. they, it's only when she was stable again that they could start moving and then get to the hospital. And they were probably surrounded by so many people at this point. So getting to the hospital must have been hard too. Yeah. I mean, it took them... So she got out the car at one and it took them 40 minutes to like revive her again. And then she got to the, once once she'd actually left, she was at the hospital in 20 minutes, which is pretty good. So mm-hmm. Dodie had been sitting in the left rear passenger seat and was shortly afterwards pronounced dead. Paul, the driver, was declared dead on removal from the wreckage. Henry Paul was later found to have a blood alcohol level of 1.75 grams per litre of blood about 3.5 times the legal limit in France. And for mm. the Canadians and the US people out there, and in, in the UK it's the same, so that's about 2.2 times the legal limit in Canada, the UK, and the US. So mm. they don't like you drinking in France. Like, you're not allowed to drink as much when you drive. Yeah, here you can makes ha- sense. Here you can have, like, like probably, like, a pint of beer, and yeah. you would be fine. right. Yeah, um, same as in America. Yeah, so, although I know people in America that drink a lot more than that and drive. Yeah. All the time. It's a normal thing here, and it shouldn't be, but, yeah. Yeah, but the thing is, in America, it just takes so fucking long to get anywhere. Like, you, <laughs> um, you'd you spend, like, 50 quid on a cab. I guess yeah. that's why you always have a designated driver, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Which is boring for one person. But So, despite attempts to save her, Diana's in- internal injuries were too extensive, and resuscitation attempts, including cardiac massage, were unsuccessful. Her heart had been displaced to the right side of her chest, which tore the pulmonary vein and the wall of her heart. And then she... Wow. Yeah, so that is massive internal injury. Your heart had basically been ripped, like, from its proper place. Yeah. Think of the impact, like, that must have done that. I know. And then she... Well, if everyone else pretty much were critically injured and or and or died yeah. in that, then it's not a surprise that you were so injured too. So the only person... Even internally. Yeah. So the only person that survived was the passenger, which was... Uh, I can't remember his name now, but he was the personal bodyguard of um, Dodie. He wasn't wearing a seatbelt, but his uh, airbag deployed. So yeah. that probably, I don't know, probably saved him, but... Diana later died at the hospital at approximately 4am in the morning. Anesthesiologist Bruno Rio announced her death at 6 at a news conference that was held at the hospital. I did. I watched a programme as well on her autopsy and they said that they just didn't want her to die. Like, they tried 
everything. I mean, yeah. Until it was just completely... I'm sure. It was just completely pointless trying anymore. Like... Yeah. But she... And I know that, obviously, all doctors try really hard to save everyone. But it got to the point, apparently, with her where they were like, look, this really isn't going to work anymore. Mm. And they were like, no, 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 we can't give up. So... Right. It was kind of like a, a dead end anyway. But they still... Yeah. Were so keen to save her because they knew how important she was. Um, Right. And then around 5 p.m. that evening, Diana's former husband, Charles, and her two older sisters arrived in Paris. The group visited the hospital along with French President Jacques Chirac and thanked the doctors for trying to save her life. Prince Charles accompanied Diana's body home on Sunday. Her body was taken to the Hammersmith and Fulham mortuary in London for a post-mortem examination later that day. An 18-month French judicial investigation concluded in 1999 that the crash was caused by Paul, who lost control at high speed while intoxicated. So mm-hmm. that's the official party line. But okay, um, conspiracy theories around Diana's death continued to circulate for years. Here are some of the most persistent. There was a mysterious white Fiat Uno. So analysis of the wreckage of the Mercedes showed that it had, that it had come into contact with a white Fiat Uno, leaving traces of paint on the Mercedes bodywork. Mr. Fired, so Dodie's dad, alleged that the vehicle was used by the security services to block the road in front of the Mercedes, causing it to swerve and crash into the side of the tunnel. The vehicle was then never found. The police, the French police concluded that the high-profile nature of the case scared anyone enough not to come forward. There's sightings of this white Fiat Uno, and they try. there's two main suspects who they think could have driven it. One of them had a really good alibi. The other one... Uh, repainted his car as soon as he left the tunnel that's sketchy yeah so although the guy who repainted his car he's nothing to do with anything he's just a french like bozo he's like yeah but what if it was like a complete accident yeah that he was there yeah yeah you know i mean out of all of the conspiracy theories that to do with this that is weird like yes that should definitely have been dug into further and it's proven in that there's paint on the bodywork so it's not just like secret like survey stuff that could you know that's just sort of pulled out of someone's ass like there is actually paint on the car and people did yeah. see a fiat uno a white one so yeah that's definitely what to think about um lack of cctv images so mr fired stated in 2003 that there were about 10 video cameras en route taken by the mercedes including one on the entrance of, to the tunnel itself but there are no recordings from any of these for the night in question. The Independent also, which is a newspaper, also stated in 2006 that there were more than 14 CCTV cameras in the Pont de l'Alma underpass, but none recorded footage of the fatal collision. I bet they did. Yeah. I bet as soon as that happened, somebody... Got it. Got it, deleted it took it whatever well you know how much it's worth i can't i can't believe that it didn't record anything no that's a bit crazy especially for so 14 cameras weren't working exactly also you know you know um how much any footage of diana is worth like people pay through the nose to see her in any situation and this is you know people have got morbid curiosity about this so it would make sense if the mi5 or the secret service or whatever were told, get that footage and don't let it out, purely for, yep. like, dig- yep. dignity. Not necessarily because there's anything fishy going on. Yeah. There's also a theory that the seatbelts were sabotaged. 
So both Diana and Dodie mm. were not restrained by their seatbelts at the time of the crash, prompting some to suggest that they had been sabotaged. French investigators declared all the seatbelts operational in 1998. There was some media discussion in April 2006 suggesting that Diana was a faithful seatbelt user and therefore the fact that both her and Dodie's seatbelts either failed or were not used was sinister and might suggest sabotage. Her sister Lady Sarah McCordale later said that Diana was religious in putting on her seatbelt. Other sources question if she did in fact use her seatbelt all the time, as was suggested. What is certain is that... Eh, I don't agree with that one. What do you mean? If you've had a couple of drinks and everyone gets in the car and... You know, maybe they're it's talking. three minutes into your journey. Yeah, exactly. It's you've just left. So maybe you're not concentrating on doing that straight away. Like God knows what he was talking just because about. You, like he could have been saying, you're the love of my life, whatever. She doesn't want to go. Excuse me. Let me just put my seatbelt on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Excuse me. I just have to interrupt you to put my <laughs> seatbelt on, which I religiously do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As my uh, sister, Lady Sarah, knows. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. I get what you're saying. Um, what is certain is that she was not wearing a seatbelt and this made things worse. We would like to think that if she had been wearing a seatbelt, we'd have been able to save her, said Professor mm-hmm. André Leinhardt, who reviewed the emergency services response for the French government investigation. She would definitely have been fine if she had a seatbelt on. Like, not fine, but the heart thing would not have happened. Right. And everyone in the car wasn't wearing a seatbelt, so... It's I, weird that no one just, did. I don't know. You'd think it'd be it's, a mix. Like, that's what I think. Like, A, it wasn't a thing. It wasn't that uh, important to wear seatbelts. B, they were probably all drinking. C, well, the front two were security. Yeah. So maybe they didn't wear seatbelts for that because they need to get out of the car quickly, right. maybe. I don't know. They just left their destination. Yeah. So Three minutes is not a long time. And then they're being chased exactly. chased by the paparazzi as well. So you're like, fuck. We thought the decoy car worked. Yeah. It obviously didn't. You can kind of see how it all got like caught up in the drama and then it was too late. Um, yeah. So Henry Paul, the driver, loads of people were convinced that he was something to do with it. The fact that he died in the incident would seem to provide fairly conclusive evidence that he was not behind the crash. But according to conspiracy theorists, Mr. Paul was being paid by a national security service. The main piece of evidence for this is supposedly the fact that he had a lot of cash on his person at the time of the car incident. These allegations are covered in Chapter 4 of the Operation Paget Criminal Investigation Report, which was basically it was a report run by the English government because there were more than 175 theories put forward by Mohammed Al-Fayed as to why this crash was on purpose and he wanted them looked into. And the papers and him made such a fuss that we actually spent millions of pounds doing an investigation to like put it all to bed Mm. because it was getting feverish like out of hand the rumors were getting out of hand like people were convinced that the queen and prince philip had bumped diana off because they didn't want her marrying a non-christian um and they didn't and there was also a rumor that she was pregnant yes i heard that yeah and they they obviously don't want like the future heirs to the throne to have like a half brother yeah so Mohammed el fired claims that henry paul was working for mi6 and that they set him up the inquiry found no evidence that henry paul was an agent for any security service <laughs> so he was just a guy who was driving and drinking yep another allegation concerns the, re- the reliability of the blood tests carried out which indicated henry paul had been drinking before he took controls of the car the french investigators conclusion 
that he was drunk at the time of the crash came from an analysis of blood samples three times above the French legal limit. This initial analysis was challenged by a British pathologist hired by Al Thayed. In response, French authorities carried out a third test, this time using the more medically conclusive vitreous fluid from inside his eye. Huh? <laughs> yeah, which confirmed the level of alcohol measured by blood and also showed that Paul had been taking antidepressants. Okay. So theorists assert that Paul's blood was inconsistent with his sober demeanour, as captured on the CCTV of the Ritz that evening. Professor Robert Forrest, a forensic pathologist, said that an alcoholic like Paul with a higher tolerance for alcohol would be able to appear more sober than he actually was. The families of Dodie Fired and Henry Paul did not accept the findings of the French investigation. People even said the blood samples were plants and not from him. So on December the 9th, 2009, it was reported that DNA samples were established genuine by comparing them with samples provided by Paul's parents. That theory got so far that they had to prove they weren't... The French had to prove they weren't lying by doing three blood alcohol tests, all came back the same. Sorry, two, yeah. two blood alcohol tests all came back the same. And then they had to stick a needle in a dead man's eye and then get out some juice and say, yeah, no, definitely. Like... <laughs> That's how willing... Such a waste of time for everyone involved. Yeah, plus, like, he could still be drunk and want her dead. Yeah. I guess his family didn't want to admit that he was an alcoholic, but his drunkness is kind of neither here nor there. Like, he crashed right. he crashed the car. He was going really fast. Like, even if he wanted to kill her, he killed himself. So how is he going to benefit from it? Unless he's, like, a suicide mission. Well, just the whole thing about them thinking that it was planted and it was somebody else's test... It's just like, no. I think the French have gone far enough to prove it. What would be the point of that? (laughs) Exactly. What would be the point? They were like, right, give us his parents. planting someone else's test. Yeah, like, give us us the parents' DNA and we will prove that it's the game. Yeah. And also, if you don't trust that test, why do you trust the third one? Right. You obviously think they're liars to begin with. (laughs) Yeah, it's so, I'm not joking, this got really out of hand. My stepdad is completely convinced that the royal family killed Diana. Anytime her name is uttered in my house, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> he's like yeah queen killed her didn't she i'm like did she <laughs> yeah so in conclusion under english law an inquest is required in cases of sudden or explained death a six thousand page french investigation had already been carried out but the report was never published on the 6th of january 2004 six years after diana's death an inquest into the crash opened in london in response to speculation that the deaths were not an accident. The police investigation reported its findings in December 2006. They found that the crash was solely the fault of the driver. He was intoxicated and speeding in a small tunnel and none of the occupants were wearing seatbelts. Diana's injuries were consistent with that of a car crash victim and nothing else. Mohammed Al-Fayed also said that he would accept the verdict and abandon his 10-year campaign to prove that Diana and Dodie were murdered in a conspiracy. Diana was 36 years old when she died. Her death caused an unprecedented outpouring of grief in the United Kingdom and worldwide, and her funeral was watched by an estimated 2.5 billion people. And that is the story of the conspiracy theory of Diana and Dodie. Wow. That was good. Yeah, I. do you know what? I? It's just something that I heard... And I was like, do you know what? I'm going to dig into this and see why people believe it. What do you think? I think he was pissed and crashed the car. Yeah. I think for the royal family, like, of course, life is easier with her gone. What's the point of the royal family? Well, what? Okay. Why does your stepdad think that the royal family killed her? What would be the point of doing that? So I'm not sure he even knows. But (laughs) 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 
the reason that the royal family would want her dead, as far as I can see, is that they are, if you've watched The Crown, um, they are not keen on divorce, like, at all. Basic, yes. Basically, Prince Charles, right. sorry, so Prince Philip and the Queen have been married for, like, fucking 70 years or 90 years or something ridiculous. Yeah. And he yeah. cheated on her all the time. Like, you just do not get divorced if you're... Right. It just doesn't happen. And there's conspiracy theories. Sorry, side note. There's conspiracy theories against him. But he's just dead. Connected to, like... <laughs> the, <laughs> no, and they wheel he, him out. Like, this... <laughs> he's just a skeleton. Have you seen him? He looks like fucking Nosferatu. Yeah. He's so old. <laughs> I haven't heard that he's dead, but there's uh, conspiracy theories. It's all connected to, like, you know, Prince Andrew... Jeffrey Epstein, yeah. the Clintons, the Bushes, the Reagans. What are the Bushes da, 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 da. I didn't hear anything bad about them. George Bush Sr. is supposedly in the same circle as the Reagan, or Ronald Reagan, and I'm sure Prince Philip. And back in the 80s, you know, there's... They're a bit... I forget what it's called, and I, I really wanted to do it, too. It's about, like, child... Dolphin house uh, or whatever. Something like that. There's a house I don't called think Dolph- That's what it's called, but apparently it's a house called Dolphin yeah. House that they all go to and like abuse kids and it's all secret and yeah. Yes. They've got like a secret hideaway in yeah. London, basically, is the rumour. Right. And there's one in like America and there's supposedly recordings of them doing a ritual in a forest Whoa. somewhere. Also, you're like, uh, and apparently there's an island and they take a plane there and there's <laughs> girls there and they abuse the yeah. girls and oh no, that actually happened. <laughs> Right. Like so, so when it sounds outlandish, and I really, like no it's not. <laughs> I know. I really wanted to do that conspiracy for this. That's why I want to do a part 2 of conspiracy theories and maybe a part 3 and a part 4. Okay, we'll do a little rotation <laughs> of some more horrible stuff and then we can come back to this. Oh, you were talking about divorce. Oh, sorry. Yeah, too. they don't like divorce. So Charles, mm-hmm. as you probably know, Charles is now married to Camilla, which is what he fucking wanted all yes. along. So right. that's unbelievably cheeky, I think. I know he's the king, but yeah. I don't think you should be able to marry that woman. But also, I just, as Camilla, why did you pursue that? The, or why? The brass balls on Camilla is ridiculous. Yeah. Like, you cheeky right. bitch. <laughs> I know. Yeah, and, appara- and apparently that- Diana confronted her about the affair as well and was like, I know what's fucking happening. Don't lie to my face. Camilla would come round and they would have dinner and stuff like as a as a small group of friends but Camilla and Charles were in that group and Diana wasn't invited he was like what she's my pal like she's just my mate and it's just ridiculous (laughs) there's something I saw this meme or something the other day and it was like does your dad have a woman pal Because if End she does, story. <laughs> that's your new stepmom. Yeah, it's like just any guy who's like, oh yeah, don't worry about her. She's my best friend. It's like, does your dad have a female best friend? Nope. nope. Okay, the end. Yeah. <laughs> Guys don't do that. Like, You know, Vince is quite sort of not like feminine. Well, he's French. Yeah, I guess that is different. <laughs> Rachel. <laughs> slap me down <laughs> like it's so quick yeah. yep <laughs> you're right i've had this conversation with will too because the his girlfriend before me was french right he says the same things like they just 
have their exes around and it's not a big deal no. and they're friends and it's just a French thing. Yeah, it truly, truly is. <laughs> but like, right. Vince has got some exes that I really like. Like it's it's kind of a mm. kind of a, like a new beginning for me because I always had a problem with exes, but then Vince is so nice that I see and yeah. the like. Also, girls listening, you all know that when a guy <laughs> you meet a girl and they've been with your boyfriend, and if they are anything but completely fucking lovely to you, you're like, fuck you. <laughs> yeah. Whereas like I've had. I've had girls be like a bit snotty with me and I'm like, you are going to get cut out. (laughs) Like he's got one girl that I knew he was with for a little while and she is so nice to me. She's the Mm -hmm. best. Comments on all my photos telling me that I look good. Like saying, saying I want to hang out with you guys. Like sending me books. Like she's she's great. And she's got a new boy. Does she listen to the podcast? Uh, I don't think she does, but she, no, I don't think she does. But if she does, then she's called Claire and she's really nice. So, you know that, and like that's what I, I was. T- I was explaining to Vince, like, so my I've got a friend called Paul, and like we've like gotten together. But if he bought a new girlfriend to me to meet, I would be so nice to her, right? Because I'd be like, I want to be friends with you still, and I know, yeah, I know that you try extra hard. If I'm a dick to your girlfriend, that's not going to happen. So like, right? The girlfriend has the upper hand always. So so if she says something to her boyfriend about you, or you're gone, basically has a problem exactly like, yeah so just get that in your head like anyway camilla <laughs> Camilla, butt out camilla so don't be a camilla don't be a camilla in a world of dianas don't be a camilla there's this incredible gif that i'm gonna put up sorry not gif meme we mention a meme every show there's got to be like a meme of the show i know but um there's an incredible meme and you just send it to somebody when they're upset and it's just princess diana's face with her head like little bit tilted to the side looking really sympathetic and it just says on the bottom oh babe (laughs) and it's just like the most comforting thing (laughs) so yeah i'll pop that up when the theme of the show like is is revealed but yeah i i really enjoyed that actually it was and that's also quite a nice break from just pure hammers to the face which we sometimes do so what are you gonna do the rest of your day rach um, I'm gonna edit this episode <laughs> at the speed of light. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that it's ready for all our listeners on Monday. Yeah. And I have a lot of work to do since I've been in Minnesota for the past couple of weeks. So I have to edit a documentary. I have to plug your, edit plug your documentary. some other stuff. I just did a short documentary a couple of weeks ago with all the protests going on, and uh, I went and interviewed a guy who he's the dad of one of my friends like he saw Malcolm X speak he's black he joined the nation of Islam he saw Malcolm X speak he saw God um he was around when the Black Panthers were around in LA so he just talked about that and I kind of yeah it was cool and I kind of talked to him about it in terms of like what's going on right now with Black Lives Matter and things like that. Yeah. So was it, did he, was it really interesting? Um, it was very interesting. So it was me, my husband Will, and my two cameramen. We went to his house, which was like an hour away, and he told us 30, 40, 50 years ago, I would have never thought that 
I would have two white people in my home. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Wow. <laughs> and me and Will, me and Will were sitting there, and Will was like, "And we're two of the whitest people, <laughs> like you really are physically." <laughs> yeah irish like your skin's nearly (laughs) see-through exactly so it was just cool and and he was really he was just awesome to talk to and he was like yeah i never would have thought and it's great and and his whole message now is like everyone just needs to love each other and leave things up to god and just listen to each other so yeah oh that's like giving me goosebumps mate i can't wait to watch that it's gonna be great (laughs) i'll send it i'll send you the uh rough cut and then hell yeah i'm hoping to post it i'm hoping to post it this this week well we will post the the week that the podcast comes out yeah if you want us to we'll post it on socials and obviously we can do what we want it's our our fucking socials (laughs) yeah (laughs) Have to ask my permission. what have you got planned for the weekend <laughs> um so, <laughs> I so i oh, i really want to drink right now but i basically have to get ready and then drive to vince's and um once i get there it'll be great because i'm going to see my friend jenny and she is like a first responder so she oh, she cool. always has the best stories <laughs> and um yes so and she's so dry she's just like yeah basically tells me how people call for an ambulance and then they'll go uh yeah you took too long so i just left (laughs) she's like can Uh, you not (laughs) where are you yeah she's like um hello the ambulance is there yeah i I just shot off (laughs) she's like that's can you not do that please (laughs) yeah it's really really fun stories um so yeah i'm gonna go see her which will be lovely that's awesome get a get a short story from her i will and retell it next and i know she listens as well so uh oh cool yes hi jenny (laughs) Hi. Hi. See you in a bit <laughs> from last week. Okay, Rach. Well, lovely as always. This is like yep. our catch up time as talk well. Talk to you next time. Like, I don't think it people is. don't get that. <laughs> that's why we talk so much shite. <laughs> yeah, that's why there's so many tangents yeah. in our podcast. So yep, sorry about uh, that. But it's fun. Okay. All right. <laughs> I'm not sorry. <laughs> <laughs> right, mate. I will speak to you later. All right. Bye. All right, bye. Thanks for listening to Transatlantic Crime this week. If you liked what you heard, please rate, review, and subscribe. And if you'd like to follow us on social media, you can find us on Twitter at TransatCrimePod, Instagram at Transatlantic Crime, and on Facebook with Transatlantic Crime Podcast. Thanks, bye. <laughs>